This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio. Greetings for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book title is The Chronic Disease of Obesity, How Sponge Syndrome Causes Repeated Weight Gain. And joining me from Kansas in the United States of America is doctor and author Brian Scott Edwards. Welcome, sir, to the program. Thanks, Jay. I'm happy to be here. In looking at your book, there are uh, the, the, the first part of your book uh, chronicles your personal journey, and uh, there are photos from a young infant, uh, not a young infant, but a young child, up through adulthood, and uh, you yourself had some challenges with weight and weight gain. Was that the reason this book got written and the reason for your research? Largely. I mean, uh, like many uh, overweight people, uh, I could lose, but then I'd always gain back. And so I went to uh, conferences and became board certified in obesity medicine. And I learned why it happened, why we regain. There, there are a lot of diet programs on the in the marketplace. Uh, obviously, it's a hot topic uh, on many, uh, many uh, persons' um, uh, dialogue as they uh, are going through a similar situation. Whether it's a small five or ten pounds or a, a huge amount, I had one. I've had a couple of friends that had uh, morbid obesity in their life, and it impacted their lives negatively. Of course, uh, you, you never, at least, I don't think fell into the category of morbid obesity yourself, did you? I was probably 10 pounds away mm. from being morbid obesity by BMI, and I uh, was actually 280 pounds, and I lost 80 pounds. Incredible. So, yeah, yeah. So, and I now I stay around 210. Well, my friends were probably... And, cl- 11, and that was, that was I'm sorry, Jay, that was okay. 11 years ago. So I've been doing this for 11 years. So I really think I've figured out how to maintain weight loss, Phenomenal. which other diets, they might say they can do it, but they don't have any evidence that they do it. Right. The long-term results are not necessarily there. The friends I was referring to actually were in probably closer to the 500-pound uh, range and, and really had some mobility issues, obviously some health issues, and uh, both of them are no longer on the planet. And uh, I'm sure their, uh, their, their war with obesity was, was part of that part of that process. The, the popular diets that are out there, I know uh, Fen-Fen was a, a big deal a few years ago, uh, amphetamines basically. What, what is happening in that area, in that arena, and uh, what has taken its place? So I learned about the diet medications when I studied for the board of obesity, and there's quite a bit out, correct? Yes. There were four new drugs in the last few years. And these four new drugs really have added a lot to the toolbox of doctors to help patients not only lose weight, but to maintain their weight. It's like blood pressure. You have to take those pills for all your life. The same thing with obesity. You have to take diet pills for the rest of your life. People don't like to hear that, but it's Mm. because of the physiology 
that happens with the shrunken cells that make it necessary. You have uh, referred to this as a sponge syndrome. Uh, explain that to my listeners, if you will. Okay. So I really think if the diet book doesn't spend a lot of time expending, uh, explaining what leptin does when you lose weight, it's really missing the whole point of why we regain weight. Because what happens when I lost 80 pounds? I did not lose any fat cells. Mm. I don't think people realize. So I had the same billions of excess fat cells. And this is an absolutely true fact. I, I show the references clearly. And if you ask any specialists, they'll say that's true. Now, what's interesting is even bariatric surgery, you don't lose any fat cells. Mm. You can lose fat cells with liposuction. But guess what? They grow back wow. in different places. So you have sort of a set point for fat cells. And those fat cells do not go away, ever, ever. Hmm. You lose brain cells, but your fat cells help you survive famines. So the fat cells are probably better for your survival than brain cells. Anyway, these four medicines help because when you have low leptin, and you get low leptin when you have these shrunken fat cells, when you lose more than 10% body weight. And when that happens, the leptin does two things. One, it slows your metabolism. And I don't know if you're familiar with The Biggest Loser on TV, but they did a, a study on those people, and it was shown to be true. People just do not burn calories the way they should, even after six years. Wow. Now, the second thing that leptin does is it stimulates ghrelin, and ghrelin makes you hungry, all right? Mm-hmm. So what we've found out, the only people who maintain their weight loss are in the National Weight Control Registry, and they've got like 10,000 people, and they've maintained their weight for at least five years, weight loss for at least five years. And they're an extraordinary group of people. Half of them do it completely on their own. So you don't even need a diet program or anybody. You can do it on your own, but you have to have commitment. And what these do, people do is they weigh themselves every day. They don't binge on holidays. They gain a couple of pounds. They, they really get strict with their calorie count. And they walk up to a mile a day, no, an hour a day. It's not fast necessarily, but they'll... Uh, maintain a low calorie rate the whole time. So you see, it's not exercise that maintains your weight. It's maintaining a low calorie rate. And a low calorie weight for women is like 13 to 1,500 calories. And for men, it's 1,500 to 1,800 calories. And that's almost like a sub-starvation diet. Yes, I, I read read in your book you you mentioned the starvation diet even, and, and we're we're referring to that in the, the World War II, for example, in the diet of prisoners was very very low calorie. Well, no, it was fifteen hundred. Well, yeah, but it, at least it seemed and that's like not it was. That low. I guess it isn't. Well, to them it seemed to be terrible. Yeah, yeah, because they're young men, right? right. <laughs> and they're not getting any diet pills, and they're kept on this. And you know, you know, a lot of people, they calculate 1,500 and they're actually eating 2,000. Mm. They were clearly on 1,500. 
What is the impact or the correlation of uh, hormone in the diet? Is that something that's become also a trendy conversation, I guess? Uh, is that something that really has, a, has contributed or is a factor? Well, leptin is a hormone, so it's all about the hormones. And leptin is the kingpin, right? Now, people like to say, well, insulin resistance, they're running around chasing their tail with that. Right. I don't want to get into the details. It's in the book. But basically, it's all about leptin and then leptin affecting ghrelin that makes you extremely hungry so that you really are suffering so bad like those soldiers did during the starvation experiment with uh, World War II. Yes. Your book is is uh, somewhat uh, technical in its in its approach. Uh, the reader that you are trying to reach, who would that be? Well, people who have tried to lose weight many times and gain it back, and that's a lot of people. And these people know a lot about dieting, mm. and they study. They try to get now. If you're just a casual dieter, I mean, but these people usually have lost eighty, fifty pounds. I mean, the people in bariatric surgery. So, and they all, in bariatric surgery, 30% of people who had surgery regain all their weight back in 10 years. Incredible. That's all hormones. That's all hormones telling the people they're starving. I, in fact, I have a, a, a close friend who's a physician and is in the bariatric uh, surgery uh, arena, and I haven't talked to him about progress and uh, what's taking place now, but a book like this. I'm sure would be of, of value to him and also of interest. I would think so too, but you know, there's a big industry out there making a lot of money on the false hope of diet and exercise. Yes. And even Gretchen uh, Reynolds wrote a New York Times article this week saying, which is better, exercise or drugs for obesity? And we know, you talk to anybody who really knows weight loss like people who run clinics like Yanni Friedman in Canada. And he has good podcasts about you can't outrun your fork. <laughs> you can't. It doesn't work. Right. Now, walking 20 minutes a day is for health. But to, walk, to exercise, you can't maintain it for five years. You know, now these people in the National Weight Control, they walk up to an uh, hour a day. And maybe if they start to gain, they, they really make sure they walk an hour a day. But it, that's not really what works. What works is keeping the calories down to 50, around 1,500 calories a day. And imagine doing that and not losing any more weight. And all you're doing is maintaining weight. It's extremely hard without diet medicine. And my book explains all the diet medicines and how to take them. It, it is 120 pages. Uh, not, uh, I guess not an oversized book uh, as far as clinically uh, clinically written, although the contents certainly are descriptive and detailed. You have uh, um, a, a great number of people that will benefit from this. Uh, is there any story that's included in there that might be uh, a game changer for someone that's reading? Well, yeah, I mean, right in the front, right? I talk about a patient of mine. And I don't want to get into too much detail because it's pretty detailed, but she sure. was, you know, 350 pounds and she was on all the wrong medicines that continued to keep her weight high. And that's the first thing a weight doctor does. He says, stop this medicine, stop. And she was on insulin. So the mm. first thing she had to do is go off insulin and go on Invokana. And of course, you know, you don't do that. You have to do it under the care of a doctor. 
she she lost 50 pounds, her sugar got better, her gout got better, and she ate, you know, low-carb, high-fat diet. You know, I'm a big proponent of uh, that, especially for diabetics or insulin-resistant patients. She did great. And, you know, that was just changing some medicines. Beautiful. Uh, there is hope out there. There's, I guess, the other message of your book, uh, more to it than just uh, a simple fix, uh, like going to the local store and getting an off-the-shelf uh, solution that may be a temporary fix. Uh, this book also would be a good reference point if someone is going through the throes of obesity or concerned about uh, weight uh, uh, scenarios. Uh, they could take this or take some of the information there and maybe share it with their physician. Is that something that uh, you think might be a valuable idea? Yeah, well, you know, I, my book is for on Kindle for like $4, Amazon.com. Oh, mm. So just tell your doc, go to that, and look at it, right, for right. $4. But if you really want them to look at it, buy my book and then give it to them. Great. Or lend them a copy of your book. Yep. The, ti- the title, again, is The Chronic Disease of Obesity. Uh, where do we get copies of this? I've, you've already mentioned Kindle, uh, Doctor. Uh, are there other locations where uh, a reader can can access your, your book? Well, the easiest is to go to Amazon.com books and you know, put in my name, Brian Edwards, Brian Scott Edwards, or easy because that's easier to remember, or go to uh, The Chronic Disease of Obesity, and it's listed there. Excellent. They can also request that from their local bookseller by either your name, Dr. Brian Scott Edwards, or by the title, The Chronic Disease of Obesity, and uh, their local bookseller can order that in for them as well. Um, this is a, a, an important book, not only for you, but I don't think there are many in the, in the marketplace that deal with the uh, details of obesity as your book has outlined. Would that be correct also? Well, certainly not the hormones like leptin and ghrelin. I mean, I go into that in depth to show why we regain. And other books don't do that, right? Because right. then they it would expose the false hope of diet and exercise. And their books are just for the short term because they don't have a list of patients. Even Weight Watchers, I doubt, has a long list of patients that have maintained 10% weight loss for greater than five years. Mm. I try to find people to, who say that. No, nobody has that except the National Weight Control Registry. Incredible information. Thank you for sharing the details and the insight that you have gained through personal experience and also through your practice. Uh, Doctor, are you also involved in social media where they can get uh, additional details and get acquainted with you? Yes, my Twitter account is Brian Edwards MD at Gmail. No, at Twitter, right? Yes. I think that's how it goes. Oh, very good. Yeah, so Brian Edwards, MD, at Twitter. And uh, I'm also on blog, but you can find my blog once you get to my Twitter. Fantastic. The title of the book, again, is The Chronic Disease of Obesity. My guest author, Brian Scott Edwards, MD. Thank you, sir, for being a part of today's program. Thank you very much, Jay. I enjoyed it immensely. Well, thank you again. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Congratulations on getting your book published. The effort you put into your work is truly commendable. But what's next? 
What will happen to all the knowledge you have worked so hard to acquire to produce your book? Here at Toginet Radio, we can provide you a platform to keep your knowledge working for you through the power of podcasts. The subjects our podcasts cover are as varied as the grains of sand on a beach. From life coaching, to military resources, to business success, even to the paranormal. We have a place for everyone. To get started on your next step, call Scott at 903-787-5880 or email him at scott at toginetradio.com. That's S-C-O-T-T at T-O-G-I-N-E-T-R-A-D-I-O dot com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio. Greetings from iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book has an intriguing title, One and One is One subtitled The Beginning. And joining me from Mississippi is author S.T. Byra. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, this is a, a long-time passion of yours, at least from the writing standpoint and the creative standpoint. You've been an avid reader. reader. You describe uh, all of your life. You also were involved in that industry, if I may call it that, in the uh, library system, the public library system. Uh, you finally had some time to write a novel. And has fiction always been something that's been a passion of yours? Well, books in general, I read just about any genre except horror. I really can't stand that. But um, they always say that the best way to be a good writer is to be a good reader. And I have been reading since I was like three years old. So, um, you know, it's just a thing that I do. I read. I, it's, it's books are my life. So when I finally retired, I decided... You know, I'm approaching that certain milestone age. Uh-huh. You don't get it done by this milestone. You ain't never going to get it done kind of thing. So I decided, you know what, I'm going for it. So I did. Well, it's um, it's amazing that you had that motivation. I have a lot of uh, things on my uh, uh, my list, my bucket list, and I have thrown the bucket away several times. Uh, so getting this done is a major accomplishment, and especially looking at it, 342 pages. Did you have this storyline in your mind and in your inspirational uh, uh, past or or personality that uh, has been sitting there a while, or how long did it take to develop it? Well, it's been kicking around my head a good five or six years before I even started putting anything down on paper. And actually, this is only about a third of it. I have written the entire book, its entire life. It's like over 800,000 words. But since I self-published, I couldn't afford to print it all at one time. So we just printed the first part of it. And, um, yeah, it's been kicking around for a long time. So it was... It took me about a year to write it all down, but I had it plotted out. So it was just a matter of sitting down every night and writing something. Well, it's amazing. You have described this as a thriller, and Grady Pearson, I'm assuming, is your primary character here. And in the back, on the back of the book, it reads like this. Grady Pearson has always been different. He's an outsider, not really belonging anywhere. Uh, tell me a little of his background. Who's Grady Pearson, and why does he fit into this story? Well, he is the main protagonist. He um, is the child of an English father and an American mother. 
He was uh, born during World War II, and his father's an engineer, and agreed to work for the war office for getting a deferment from being drafted and into the war effort. So he worked on the war effort in a civilian form. And he lives, Grady and his parents live on an uh, RAF base. And he's the only civilian child in the school. So that makes him different right there, that his parents are civilians living on the military base. And he's never really fit in because of the fact that he's the only civilian. So um, he just, he's just different. You know, he stands out. He's, he's resilient. He's a survivor. He's, he's perseverant. And he has to be considering what happens to him during his life. Well, phenomenal. It's generally considered a cliche that individuals who choose the profession of working in public library systems are sort of on the quiet side and reserved. And would you say that that's not you, correct? <laughs> oh, you've never been to a library convention, have you? I guess you? <laughs> I have not, no. Are they throwing water balloons out of the second-story windows? Or what's, what happens at those conventions that's uh, tellable? <laughs> oh, well, let's just say there's a lot of partying that goes on after the meetings. <laughs> ah, well, that uh, clears up a cliché that I've uh, carried around in my psyche for a while, so thank you for clearing that up. You obviously are an outgoing personality just from conversation. Your book, does it have a lot of action in it? Um, yeah, it does. Uh, in... in um I mean, what you consider an action film, and there's a lot of introspection and interior dialogue because I fully developed this character, but a lot of things happen to poor Grady. Um, he's just a magnet for abuse, and but he's, like I said, a survivor, and he refuses to give in. He just, you know, it's not in his nature. He He's going to hold on. He's going to get through it. And, Nobody's going to stop him. Now, did you design the character Grady after someone that you know, or that you know in real life, and uh, has the names been names been changed to protect the guilty? Uh, no, he's purely a fictional character. Now, I based his looks and a description, physical description, on an actor that I really loved, who is no longer with us, unfortunately, hmm. but um, who I've admired for years and years. And so I based his physical description on that. But other than that, he's he's strictly a figment of my imagination. <laughs> is is the story contemporary in time, or is it uh, go back, harken back to an older uh, time frame in in our history? It starts in World War II. Uh, his parents meet during the war. He is born right at the end of the war, and um, his, his entire story, which, like I said, has not been entirely published yet takes him to 97 years old, so he actually goes from World War II into the 2040-something. Wow. But this part takes him up to when he's 21. Well, so it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's an entire life that I've written, and we, like I said, we only got to publish the first part of it. That's incredible. The, uh, again, the story style is that of a thriller. Uh, should you go to his 90-whatever birthday, would that become science fiction at that point, or is it still going to remain a thriller? It's still going to remain a thriller because uh, a lot of bad things, like I said, he's a magnet for abuse because he refuses to give in and people challenge that. So it's not till almost the end of his life before everything coalesces and comes together and he's finally at peace. And there's a little bit of uh, futurism in there because I envision uh, 
some medical breakthroughs and stuff like that in the future. Beautiful. Now, in the story itself, is there one scene or maybe a couple of scenes that will stand out to the reader? Um, gee, that's a good question. Um, probably the scenes where he's actually being abused on the school bus by the older boys who are taking taking him to task for telling the truth about a um, RAF officer. Inter- um, interesting. They, you know, they coalesce around, you know, kind of like the thin blue line kind of deal. You don't yes. tell on your mates. But, you know, what what was done needs to be told, so Grady tells it, and he suffers for it. Is there anything that would preclude a younger audience, although the number of pages, I'm thinking, uh, would really target an, an adult audience? Uh, is that a correct assumption? Yeah, and it is written for adults. It may be about a child, like I said. It's an entire life when I wrote it down, and... Um, There is some explicit sex in it where I detail his first sexual adventure at 17 and a half. So I'd I'd be at least 15 or 16 before I'd let anybody read it. Well, I missed that page. What page? No, 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 never never mind. I'm just... uh, Oh, golly gee. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Part two, I can't remember what chapter it is. I I tease, of course, but the book is uh, definitely designed for a little older audience, one that can uh, accept the the shock of some of the content. The the book itself and the... um, the storyline, the character development, did you work from inspiration and just sit down and start to write, or did you have an outline that uh, that kept you on track? Well, as I said, I had the um, outline of the story in my head for years, and the way I woke, I wrote it down, um, I would jump back and forth. As I thought of a scene that needed to be written, I would just write it down and then fill in between. And, um, you know, it just, um, it, it, I, like I said, I hopped around, but it all came together because I knew what I wanted to say. I just had to fill in gaps here and there. Sure. Now, as you uh, look back on your raucous life as a public library system director, um, did, <laughs> uh, did any of those stories creep into or any of those uh, exciting days creep into the storyline? You've mentioned you tried to avoid uh, designing any of the characters against uh, anybody that you knew in life. But what about the activity itself? Did the actions or maybe some of the events kind of creep in? Per se, um, I do have Grady also being an avid reader, so he's um, very fond of libraries um, and books <laughs> and reading. Right. And um, I like to knit, so I had his mother and his foster mother knit as well. So that would crept in there. Um, but uh, no, I didn't. I didn't have any raucous parties or anything uh-huh. like that creeping in from my library days. <laughs> <laughs> Your events in the in the uh, novel itself. Uh, you say it's how long did it take again to complete? Would you say a year or two uh, of actual writing? About a year of actual writing. And and some days I some days I'd write. You know, I'd be on you know spurt and write you know four or five pages, and some days I'd only maybe do like a paragraph or just go back and tweak something, but about a year altogether. Have you always wanted to be a fiction writer? 
Is this the first novel you've released? It's the first novel. I've always wanted to be a writer, but I just never had the time or determination to get it done. There's always something else I had to do. And in the future, you've already mentioned there are extensions of this storyline. How is that coming? Uh, have you gotten to a place where it may be released near in the near future? It depends on how many copies of this one I sell, so I can afford to do it. Right. Uh, but I am actively looking for a um, an agent, so hopefully I can go traditional publishing instead of self-publishing and get it all done. And I may, I may decide to self-publish it, too, but through a different uh, publishing uh, unit. And um, I'm also writing a, a series about a reporter and a mystery writer. Wonderful. And I'm, I'm working on a fantasy. And, you know, once the dam broke, I can't seem to stop. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a good problem to have if you're a writer. The title is yeah. unique also. One and One is One. Uh, what is the significance of that, or is there? There is a very good significance to that, and it's uh, it carries throughout the entire his entire life. What it is, his father explains it to him that for every one person in the world, there is only one other person in the world for that one person, and when the two of them get together, they become one. Hmm. Mm. And his father and his mother are one, and. He says, his father tells him that, you know, you may never find that person in your lifetime, but you should never give up the hope that you will. That's so, uh, that, know, that's philosophical. I don't know if I'm allowed to uh, to uh, to think about that. That, But beautifully done. Uh, it certainly does have a significance then. The one and one is one. And uh, you also right. have subtitled it or have a subtitle, The Beginning. So that is leaving the door open for future future work, correct? Oh, yes, which is already written and ready to go. I'm just oh, waiting for famous. being able to do it. What was, <laughs> the cha- what, was the, what was the first challenge or the major challenge you had in getting this uh, published other than being a self-publisher? That was pretty much it. Um, <laughs> well, and self-editing, uh, editing down, cutting things out, con- you know, condensing, being, put, putting in redundancies and stuff like that. Right. Um, you know, don't insult the reader's intelligence by repeating everything. That was the hardest part was cutting stuff out. Mm. You've described this as basically a character study, if I understand the general view of the characters and their development. Is there enough action or excitement in the storyline, do you think, that it could be condensed and perhaps um, put into a stage play or into a uh, a film? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm sure there is, because there's enough action in there, because a lot of stuff happens to poor old Grady, you know. He's and But, there's like I said, there's a lot of interior dialogue, which could be handled, like, with a voiceover narration um, in a miniseries or a film or whatever. But, hmm. yeah, it, it could be done. It'd definitely be, you know, PG-13 at least. Um, but, yeah, it could be done. 342 pages, a wonderful accomplishment. Again, the title is One and One is One, subtitled The Beginning. And my author, S.T. Byra, B-Y-R-A, who has joined me from Mississippi. Uh, Susan, where can my listeners get a copy of your book? Amazon.com. Uh, the soft cover is twenty ninety nine, and the ebook is 
iUniverse.com, um, they would have the other reading uh, formats like Milk or whatever. As you know, Amazon only sells for Kindle, but iUniverse will sell for any format. Fantastic. And is there a location in social media where they can keep in contact? Yes, I have a Facebook page. Um, right now it's under One and One is One, but I'm hoping to get it changed just to my author name. And I also have a website, stbyraauthor.godaddysites.com. Fabulous. Well, thank you for joining me today and look forward to visiting with you in the future. And uh, our our uh, hope is that this will become a runaway seller for you and uh, we'll get uh, lots and lots of creative input in the future that we can share uh, by conversation. Thank you again for joining me today, Susan. Well, yeah, thank you for having me. My pleasure for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. When your focus is to lose weight or maintain your present weight, exercising effectively to burn the most calories is crucial. You want to give yourself every advantage to burn as many calories as possible. One good tip is to do your strength training exercises standing up so you can keep your heart rate up Another tip is to perform multi-joint exercises when you can. For example, as you're doing a forward lunge, add bicep curls while you're coming up from the lunge. Another example is to execute a wide squat. And as you're coming up from the squat, perform a shoulder press. By doing these multi-joint exercises, you're putting more demands on your body, keeping your heart rate up, and working more muscles at the same time. The goal is to burn the most calories during that workout. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled, They Are Not Alone, subtitled Mythology or History. And joining me from Michigan in the United States of America is author Leo Cozillo. Thank you, sir. Hello. Thank you. Good to visit with you. I, uh, I, this is a, you know, a fairly extensive book, uh, 344 pages. Uh, describe it to me. How did you come to write this? What was the motivation behind it? Well, once I retired from the trades, I felt almost a duty to write the story. I had planned to write a story about a space traveler for several years. I wanted to include well-known or semi-well-known events throughout history and mythology in a story and put a personal touch on them by having characters whom everyone could relate to present them as they unfold or tell them about them in a tale. Now, is this, if I may digress a little bit, is this present day or was it future tense? This is a, sort of a, I uh, get a science fiction type uh, novel. Would you describe it that way? Yes, it's science fiction. And uh, although it has aspects of futuristic technologies in it, it is set in the past. It is set in the past. And uh, who do you think would uh, enjoy reading this? Is this uh, a, a novel or a book that would appeal to a younger audience or a, an older audience? Are there 
contents in here that might not be a suitable for maybe a, a 12 or 13-year-old, a young, young teen? No, I believe this book is suitable for all ages. When those who try to visualize the gods, goddesses, and heroes of mythology, when they first learned about them, as I did, and tried to understand them and how they could have possibly existed. This book gives personalities to those entities, making them characters that can be easily identified with. It also depicts famous events in history and mythology as described by those who were there, creating scenes that can be visualized and experienced by the captivated readers. Included in this story are several battles. These are, to many, appealing in their own right. Then there is the belief in the higher power, the supreme being. Few on earth will dispute this. Well, is there one thing that, you know, as a moral to the story, or one thing that in the storyline that you think the reader will take away from, from your work that's uh, unique? Oh, yes. I, I would like for them to think or say, oh, so that's how it happened. Or for them to feel that you know the people in the story personally, or at least understand them and their motives. Is there one particular character that will be outstanding to the reader and and uh, tell a little of their background. Oh, yes. The chief of the local clan of native people is called only Chief. This is the first man that a pal Chi meets on a new planet. A pal's first mind delve with Chief is when we learn that our hero can enter deep into someone's mind and take knowledge from or impart it to them if he chooses to do so. And this is when our hero learns the truth behind many ritual secrets. Besides the main characters, Apache and his family, Telkin and Hyphus should be highlighted. Telkin fashions excellent tools and weapons and is not from around here. Hyphus is the forger of the gods. None but he can even approach his forge, so hot it is. Telkin is a small man with a commanding presence, while Hyphus is a giant and does not say much. They're landing on a new planet and meeting up with Apache and his chief buddy is a good old time that everyone should share. This is when Telkin and Hyphus first drink of the corn brew. Another scene I should have to mention here is when the queen cast a spell on all who were gathered at the mystic temple. Her spell allowed them all to hear the thoughts of all the others gathered. To avoid a riot, the mystics cast their own spell upon a crowd and served them a special brew to help them reach their nirvana. A chapter called Stuck in the mud is one to toast. Here the clans join up with Uncle Mar, the king of the wonderful place, and relaxes in the rejuvenating pools of exfoliating hot mud which are scattered across the planet CBR-9. During their retreat, they tell tales, truths, lies, or should I say stories, crack on each other a bit, and drink a toast to whatever comes to mind, whatever came to my mind. There are several battles fought for the good of the cause and the expansion of the species, each literally presented to convey a different message and to reveal a different truth. And if you were to introduce that to someone, you've, you've described some of the exciting scenes that you have created from, from your imagination. Uh, how would you describe your book? Would you say uh, it's a, a novel, it's a, a fiction, it's only a nonfiction? How, how would you describe this to someone? Science fiction novel, I suppose, would be the category. Uh, when our hero, Palchi, figures out the secrets of how to manipulate the number line and travel in space at the speed of light, he and his team of explorers slash scientists, consisting mainly of his family, venture to other worlds and meet other people. 
Most of these worlds have civilizations that are not as technologically advanced as theirs. Some have those that are, and they run across some civilizations that are superior to them in almost every way. I emphasize almost. In this particular novel, this adventure that you've created, uh, is it similar to other books in the marketplace, or did you come up with an idea that maybe is slightly different or even radically different than others that are out there? Well, this book lends the notion, I could see that happening. Instead of hearing or reading about the heroes of the days of yore and their exploits secondhand from someone who heard or read about them, in this book, it is the heroes themselves, or the villains, that are doing the telling. Leo, uh, where did this story, where does it take place? Well, the starting for this story is 10,500 years BCE, in the era of the Greek gods. Much of it takes place in Greece. Our hero eventually makes his way to India, Scandinavia, and the Americas. There is much space travel involved in the unraveling of this story, so there are several cosmic destinations visited by more than a few of the heroes or villains of this epic tale. From one, from one light year distant to four light years to eight and a half, and even as far as 736 light years different, distant. Many wonderful worlds are explored by this intrepid crew. This is actually our real local stellar neighborhood. It is what I imagine to be the origins and destinations of the gods that led me to place the story in these locations. And you immerse people into the action, I, I, I'm assuming, in the way that you've written and, and put this together. Uh, are there any particular words or descriptives that would highlight the characters uh, that you have uh, created? Oh, gods are people, too. And if I were to choose three words to describe the story and its characters, I would say righteous, awesome, and personable. Beautiful. Well, those are, are certainly inspiring ideas just on their own merit. Now, this uh, must have been a challenge to you as a first-time author, 440-some pages. That uh, must have taken some time. What were, were the most rewarding f uh, aspects of writing this book, and uh, how do you feel about the finished product? Well, I'm happy about the finished product. Um as it turns out, 444 pages was much longer than I first anticipated. Um, the most challenging part was becoming computer-friendly again. <clears throat> I wrote 192 pages in cursive, and it took me some time to relearn how to type. <laughs> but that turned into only 68 pages on my computer. At first, everything was underlined in red and blue, quite the colorful page. Now I look forward to seeing my words underlined in these colors because I learned something each time. The most fun part was imagining the different aspects of the story, like the battle scenes, the great hunting expeditions, the celebrations and feasts, the gods feast often, and their interactions between the characters, whether it be love, hate, or something in between, like friends joking with each other and pulling pranks. I especially enjoyed including aspects of certain experiences that I have had into the book. The most rewarding part was reading parts of the book that I wrote a year or more earlier and cracking up or getting all choked up. I've even been brought to tears. They're very profound statements that will cause the spirits to well up inside you when you read these righteous words. Sounds challenging. This uh, is, again, a great accomplishment, 444 <clears throat> pages as a first-time author. 
I'm going to ask this question. Are you anticipating either a follow-up book, or is there something else in the works in the near future? Yes, uh, I actually started on the second book before the first one was actually published. Uh, I have thought about dividing it into two books, so I am further along on my third book than I am on my second. But there are two more books in process right now. Well, congratulations on completing this one, the title of which is They Are Not Alone, Mythology or History. My guest author, Leo Casillo, and uh, he is uh, a a new author, but one that is uh, becoming prolific, has a lot of uh, storylines that he wants to share with the universe. So uh, thank you again for sharing your story and your background. You studied astronomy and physics, so there's uh, some of that scientific mind that's uh, been incorporated into these storylines. Is that correct? Yes, it has. Uh, It was my interest in astronomy and physics, basically my hobby, that led me, led me back to college to study them further. Beautiful. I think we've covered just about everything. Is there anything that we have left out that uh, you feel might be important to the listener? Well, this story, this is a story about people and happenings on other worlds as well as on our own world. There are good guys and bad guys in every nation, and there are good guys and bad guys all throughout history as well as mythology. So there are good guys and bad guys all throughout space. A good portion of this story covers many aspects of the struggle between good and evil in our little corner of the galaxy. Let me ask you this question. Where can they get a copy of your book? Uh, The website is www.theyarenotalone.com. Very good. And they can order it from Amazon, too, I'm sure, and other online booksellers. Yes, they can. And our universe, my publisher, has a website as well. Well, thank you for sharing the background story on this. I would recommend it. Again, as you have uh, stated, this is a book that might be appealing to just about anybody that has uh, an interest or a curiosity about science fiction and uh, the storylines that that can be weaved from that imagination. Uh, again, the storyline is uh, titled They Are Not Alone, a subtitled Mythology or History. Listeners, you can do a search under Leo's last name if you're looking for books that he has written or other projects he's been involved with. It's Leo, L-E-O, Cauzillo, C-A-U-Z-I-L-L-O. And uh, when you do that search, you'll find this book and uh, the ones that will be released in the future. Thank you, Leo, for sharing your story today. Okay, thank you very much. And hope to visit with you in the future for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.